may be seated. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. In our evening services, we've been working through the Ten Commandments. This evening, we come to everybody's favorite commandment, the Fourth Commandment, in verses 8 through 11. But before we hear God's word to us this evening, let us call upon our God in prayer. Lord Almighty, we thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ that calls us away from trusting in our sinful and flawed works to rest in the grace of Jesus Christ. And we thank you that you have given us an entire day to especially rest in him. We pray that even as we hear your word tonight, that we would be refreshed, that we would be strengthened and encouraged. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Hear now the word of the Lord to you this evening from Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. Our Lord commands us, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This is the word of the Lord. I love my kids. And one of the ways that I show them my love is by giving them commands. Now, I doubt that's one of the ways they feel the most loved, but it is one of the ways parents love their kids. We often think that if we love people, we just let them do whatever they want to do. But love protects those that it loves. Love instructs those that it loves. Paul says love is patient and kind, but he also says that love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. We know that God himself is love, which means Every single one of his commands is an expression of who he is, and therefore it's an expression of his love, and his commands are always designed to bless his children. And that includes the fourth commandment. In fact, the fourth commandment tells us that God designed an entire day of the week for nothing other than blessing his kids. Look at the end of verse 11. It says, Therefore the Lord blessed 
the Sabbath day and made it holy. He blessed the day. He set it apart from every other day that he made. He made this Sabbath day like an ocean that doesn't consist of water. It just consists of blessing. And then he commands his kids, I want you to just jump into that ocean of blessing and just swim around all day. Jesus reminds us that the Sabbath was made. It was designed for man, not the other way around. Man wasn't made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. Sadly, we often lose sight of this goal when we observe the Sabbath or when we debate the Sabbath with one another. That's why I joked at the beginning that this is everybody's favorite command. I think a lot of times it's Christians' least favorite command. We don't view it as a loving gift. We view it more like a lump of coal in our stocking on Christmas morning. We view the day like a field of landmines that God has buried just so He can blow us up if we make one misstep. Instead of as a treasure map that He has drawn up so that we can explore and find the greatest riches imaginable. And perhaps this is why God doesn't begin the command with keep the Sabbath day holy. He begins the command with remember the Sabbath. I think which means remember what this means, what it is for, and in light of that, keep it holy. We are commanded to remember. My oldest son, Corin, is just a, a wonderful kid. But I often get frustrated when I have to tell him in particular the same things over and over and over again. And sometimes I'll, I'll tell him something and then he immediately does the opposite. I said, buddy, I, I, I just said this. And I remember one time he looked up at me with honest sincerity and he said, dad, you know how good I am at forgetting things. And I thought, aren't we all? We, we are naturally forgetful people. How many times do you read a book, you read a sentence, and you have to immediately go back and read it again because you just forgot what you read? We easily become disoriented. No, you don't know if you've ever had that experience where you, you fall asleep on your couch and you wake up and it, it takes you a few minutes to remember, wh where am I? What day is it? What time is it? What, what am I supposed to be doing? Sometimes that happens to us in life, which is why God has designed one day in every week for us to remember and for Him to reorient us. Because as we remember the Sabbath day, God reorients us in the world. And so this evening, we're going to just take some time together to remember. Knowing that remembering, biblically speaking, is not just calling something to mind, but it's then structuring your life in light of what you know.
So we're going to try to remember what this day means, what it points us to. We're going to try to remember how Christ fulfilled and transposed this day. And then we're going to try to remember how we can keep it holy. So the command begins, remember the Sabbath day, which clearly means that at Mount Sinai, as Israel gathers before the Lord and receives the law, the Sabbath was not a brand new concept for them. The command actually pointed them back to their very creation and to their redemption, and thereby it called them once again to trust the Lord. So first we see that the Sabbath day is teaching and reminding us of a creation principle. Genesis chapter 1 teaches that God created everything and then he formed and he filled it in six days. But then we read in Genesis 2 something a little bit surprising. We read that after God created everything in six days, he rested from all his work. Moses says, so God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. And I say that that's surprising because God obviously doesn't need to rest like you and I need to rest. At the end of the sixth day, God wasn't tired. He doesn't get tired. In fact, David says in Psalm 121, God never slumbers, God never sleeps. So God's rest is not idleness, it's not inactivity, because God is always working. He wasn't creating the world anymore on the seventh day, but he was still sustaining and governing the world. So Jesus says in 5.17 that his Father is always working. And yet on the sixth day it says God rested. So what is God's, on the seventh day God rested, so what is this rest? And what we see is that God's rest is his delight It's his satisfaction. It is his joy in all that he has done. At the end of the sixth day, God looked upon everything that he had made and he saw that it was very good. His work of creation was complete and he was pleased. His rest, therefore, is a rest of joyful completion. Everything was done, everything was under his control, everything was good. So he rests, he rejoices, he is at perfect peace. But God didn't rest for himself. He rested for us. Because in this way, he revealed to us that his rest, his joy, his peace is the very goal of our existence. He created and rested so that others might enter into that rest as they enter into a covenant relationship with Him. So this Sabbath teaches us that all of life is to be ordered before and for God. This unique day 
is the goal of every week and it determines all the other days. So think about this. There is no other reason that we divide time into weeks. Days, months, years, these all have cosmological explanations. They have to do with how the earth rotates, orbits around the sun, but there's no cosmological reason for weeks. The only reason we have weeks is because of God's example which orients our lives around Him. Now, work isn't bad. Work is very good. But he says we need to do all our work on six days so that we can rest on one day. Which tells us our work is not the goal. God's rest is the goal. And so as we remember the Sabbath day, God reminds us of this creation principle. This is the supporting reason we find here in Exodus 20. We work on six days and rest on one because God created in six days and rested on one. And Israel had already been given this principle. Before they even got to Mount Sinai in Exodus 16, they are, are getting hungry, so God sends them manna, bread from heaven. And He instructs them, you go out every single day and you gather enough manna for you to, to eat for that day. Now, it's only going to last for that day. The next day, if you've tried to save any, it's going to rot because you need to go out every day and trust I'm going to provide for you on that day. But He said, you're not supposed to go and gather anything on the seventh day. So on the sixth day, gather twice as much and it won't rot. You will have it on the seventh day so that you can rest. So they had already been taught this creation principle. And the command is clear here. They're not to do any work on the Sabbath. That's what the word means. Sabbath just means to stop to cease. Setting aside ordinary labors helped them remember that God was their creator. God was their goal. They belonged to Him. He would protect them. He would provide for them. And you see in the command that they, they couldn't force their work on anybody else. They couldn't say, all right, kids, you're going to have to do everything today. They couldn't have servants in their household take over. And I'll explain why in a minute. But remembering the Sabbath reoriented them to know who God was as their creator and to know that His joyful rest was the goal of their existence. But second, the Sabbath day served as a covenant sign. Because it wasn't only redirecting Israel to creation, it was redirecting them to their redemption. So while the command in Exodus gives creation as the supporting reason, if you go to Deuteronomy chapter 5 where Moses reiterates this commandment, a different supporting reason is given. 
In Deuteronomy 5, God says, You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So we see God is the Creator. God is also the Redeemer. And we know that God delivered Israel from slavery in Egypt, not so that they could just go do whatever they wanted, but so that they could serve and worship Him. So at Sinai, God is giving these Ten Commandments. At the same time, He is establishing a a covenant, a legally binding and personally intimate relationship with them. He's saying, I am yours, you are mine. But as God always does with His covenants, He provides a sensible sign to help them trust His promises. So when God makes the covenant with Noah and creation after the flood, promising, I'll never destroy the earth with a flood again, He gives them a rainbow as a sensible sign so that they see it, they remember, and they trust God's promise. Well, for the Mosaic covenant with Israel, the Sabbath day was the covenant sign. So in Exodus 31, the Lord said to Israel through Moses, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. And again, he says, It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. So not only did the Sabbath remind them of the creation principle, it reminded them of God's covenant promises and relationship with them. It pointed back to His deliverance from Egypt. And just as they trusted God for their material provision, they were encouraged to trust God with their spiritual needs as well. But this also made the Sabbath day Not just a day for setting aside business as usual, but it made it a day to gather together for corporate worship. So the command to cease from ordinary work wasn't just a license. Now you go do whatever you want. Just like God had freed them from Egypt to worship Him, He freed them from ordinary work to worship Him. So we read in Leviticus 23 that the Sabbath was a day for holy convocation. just means sacred assembly. They gathered together to worship God every single Sabbath. And as they did that, God renewed His covenant with them, assuring them once again of His saving promises. So the day was a day to cease from ordinary work, and worship God. And in this way, we see that the Sabbath day was third and foremost a call to trust God. Because as we remember God, we trust God. When they thought about the creation principle, they remembered that God was their creator, that He was their provider. 
as they remembered their redemption, they remembered that God was their Savior who would sanctify them. As they remembered and kept the day holy, God therefore would assure and strengthen their faith. He would teach them there is an eternal rest an eternal peace, an eternal joy and security, but that rest is my rest and you only find it in me. And he would say to them, I created you and I know all your needs. I will sustain you. I will protect you. I will provide for you. All you have to do is trust me. This is why no one in their household could work. That would miss the point entirely because they couldn't rest from their normal labors and say well it's going to be okay because my kids are going to do it or my servants are going to do it no they couldn't pass their ordinary labors off to anyone because they had to trust God's going to take care of me I'm not relying on anyone else and so the Sabbath day is a call to trust God, to trust that we exist for Him, but that He works for us, to trust that we have no greater good that we could be working for on this day or any other day, to trust that He knows our needs and He will provide, to trust that He will keep His promises, to trust that He saves us only by His grace and not by anything that we could ever do. And when we understand that, I, I hope our response would be, what a glorious and gracious command. For in the command, God says to us, I know you're sinful, I know you're weak, I know you're prone to wander, I know you're easily disoriented, I know you're forgetful. I know you lose sight of the main thing and you don't always know what's best for you. So I'm going to force you to just stop and remember. To look to me, to listen to me, to learn from me, and just spend the whole day resting and rejoicing that I am your God. Now kids, would you be angry if your parents commanded you one day every week, I don't want you to do any homework. I don't want you to do any of your normal chores. I just want you to spend time with me and just enjoy that time together. What kid would hear their parents and say, boy, are you bossy. You are so restrictive. Why don't you just let me be? And yet that is what this command is. It is a command that just says, stop everything else and enjoy me. Be strengthened by me. And yet many Christians still ask, are, are we supposed to obey this fourth commandment now even after Christ has come? And even if you read many of the, the Reformed confessions through history, 
not all of them describe this day in the exact same way. So there, there is legitimate confusion and questions. But if you've been here for this series through the Ten Commandments, you know that I'm operating under the biblical assumption that the Ten Commandments express God's unchanging character. So if God is unchanging, His commandments don't change, and we still obey them. But I've also been operating under the biblical assumption that Christ didn't abolish the law, but He did transpose it. It's the same melody, but in a different key. So there may be some things that look a little different than they did before He came. So I do believe that the fourth commandment is still in full effect for God's people. That Christ did not get rid of the Sabbath day. The New Testament writers go to great lengths to make clear Jesus never violated the Sabbath. Sure, He broke a lot of the man-made traditions that had been added to the Sabbath, but He never broke the Sabbath. He fulfilled it. So I've explained in other series and sermons that the Old Testament law had three elements. There were civil elements because God's people at that time were a political nation. So church and state kind of went together. There were also ceremonial elements because the Old Testament law was always pointing forward to what Christ was going to do for us. So all of their sacrifices, all of their purifications were designed to temporarily point ahead to Christ. But those would go away when Christ did what those elements were pointing to. But the foundation of the entire law was always moral, expressing God's heart. So even though the civil elements have expired, because God's people are no longer one political nation, and Christ has fulfilled the ceremonial elements in His saving work, the moral principles of the law will never go away. So just think about the supporting reasons for the fourth commandment. The creation principle hasn't changed. By pointing back to creation, God is giving a supporting reason that's always true. It is always true that God created in six days and rested on the seventh. We simply understand better now that Christ is the Word of God and all things were created through Him and for Him. So that creation principle now even more so directs us to worship Christ. Think also of the redemption principle. The Sabbath isn't the covenant sign in the same way that it was in the Old Testament, but the Sabbath is still grounded in the reality of our redemption. We just look back to a greater redemption than the exodus out of Egypt. We look to our eternal redemption in Jesus Christ and Himself crucified. So we still gather to worship God, but we understand more clearly we are worshiping God for our salvation in Jesus Christ. And of course, we are still called to trust God, particularly to trust God in Christ, because Jesus is the fulfillment of all of God's promises. 
And this is why the Sabbath day remains even though it has been transposed. For example, in the Old Testament, the Sabbath was always on the seventh day. It would be from Friday evening to Saturday evening. In the New Testament, however, after Jesus is raised from the dead, we very quickly see Christians not gathering to worship on the seventh day anymore. They gather to worship on the first day, what they call the Lord's Day. You see this in Acts chapter 20, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, Revelation chapter 1. And it's important to note that when the gospel writers describe Jesus' resurrection on the first day, they don't actually write that he rose on the first day of the week, as a lot of English translations say. They write that he rose on the one of the Sabbath. In other words, helping us see that the Sabbath is now the seventh day plus one. There, there's a new day in which we rest and worship Christ. So I love how B.B. Warfield once put it. He said, Christ took the Sabbath into the grave with him and brought the Lord's day out of the grave with him on the resurrection morn. So the Sabbath day is not on the exact same day, but that doesn't mean that the fourth commandment is the one commandment that Jesus said, you don't need this anymore. If the entire day was designed for blessing, do we really think that Christ's saving work has diminished that blessing? We always find more blessing in Christ, not less. So with that in mind, I'll end this evening with how do we keep the Lord's day? How do we keep this Sabbath day holy? And I have three general ways, but I want to make one clarification before I briefly mention those three ways. And the clarification is that in Romans chapter 14 and Colossians 2, Paul talks about days and freedom of conscience. In Romans 14, he says, listen, Christians are, are viewing Certain days is holier than, than other days. He's, he's dealing with the Jew-Gentile relationship because Jews and Gentiles were coming to faith in Christ. The Jews came with a lot of holy days, not just the one Sabbath day. And Paul says, it's okay for those of you who are viewing certain days more holy, observe those days to the honor of the Lord. Others of you who, who don't view all of those days the same, you honor the Lord in how you understand it. And in Colossians chapter 2, Paul says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Whenever in the Old Testament that triad of festival, new moons, and Sabbath are put together, it's shorthand for all of their annual holy days, monthly holy days, and weekly holy days. So it seems to me that even though we, we shouldn't understand that Sunday is like any other day and we can just ignore it, Paul does seem to suggest 
how we particularly observe this day might not always look exactly the same. There are certain non-negotiables, I think, but there might be particulars that Christians will observe or not observe according to their own conscience. So where I think we need to take this day seriously, I think we also need to be careful that we are not heaping on man-made traditions. One of my favorite Puritans who took the Sabbath very seriously, like all the Puritans did, once lamented, a man can scarcely in six days read over all the duties that are proposed to be observed on the seventh. So even he was recognizing, listen, I, I can't even read through all of the things you're telling me I have to do on the seventh day in the other six. So how do we keep this day holy? Very briefly, three general principles. Number one, we prepare for the day. Now this isn't actually about what we do on Sunday. This is about what we do the other six days of the week. The command says we, we need to get all of our work done on the other six days so that we can rest on the other day. So again, think of Exodus 16. Because they were not to gather manna on the seventh day, God says, on the sixth day, gather twice as much. You're still going to have this need to eat on the seventh day, so be prepared. And that principle still applies. We should organize our six days with the Sabbath in mind. As much as we can, we get everything else done so that we're just free to worship and rest. Now, I'll embarrass my wife here, but one of the things that really impressed me about her when we were dating is that even when she was in medical school, and I've heard medical school requires a lot of work. I don't know, I'm not that smart. But even when she was in medical school, she was committed... I'm not studying on Sunday. And you know what? She still became a doctor. You, you can do it. This also means that we need to think about how we spend our Saturday nights in a way that we are well rested and ready to worship on Sunday. And here I'll hold out myself as a negative example. We recently, as a family, went on vacation, went to Florida, it was a wonderful time, went to Universal Studios, took our kids to Disney World, it was a blast. Well, on Saturday, we went to Magic Kingdom. Magic Kingdom doesn't close till 11 p.m., turns out. And they have all kinds of cool fireworks and all these things that happen at night. And we're like, well, this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity because we're never going to have money to do this again. So we're, we're going to stay here. We're going to have a great time. Well, surprise, surprise. We get home really late on Saturday, Sunday morning. My kids, not in the best mindset to sit still and, and pay attention to a service. One of my beloved children was really having a hard time coping. I pretty much missed the entire service. I was in another room trying to calm down my kid. And yes, my, my kid had sin issues that were going on. 
But I also was convicted in that moment. And I confessed to my, my daughter, I sinned. I failed you. I did not treasure Sunday morning as much as I treasured the experience of Saturday night and I didn't get you home on time so you could get to bed and be ready to worship today. And I had to confess that sin to my daughter. The good of the Lord's day should dictate how we view all the other days. And again, it's not... All right, we got to be ready for all of these restrictions on Sunday. It's we want to make sure that we are as freed as possible to just enjoy the blessing of Sunday. So prepare. Number two, worship. In this, I do believe, whatever other differences we might have, this is non-negotiable. However else we might observe the Lord's day, I don't know how we keep it holy if we are not worshiping our Creator and Redeemer. We are saved for God. We are freed for God to enjoy, serve, and worship Him. We were created for the same purpose, and He is our greatest good, and He is the goal of our lives. And this isn't just because of who He is, though that would be enough. It's because of what He wants to do for us. Because as we worship Him, He strengthens us. He feeds us, instructs us, corrects, comforts, and assures us. He draws near to us as we pray. He fills us as we sing. He confirms His promises through the sacraments. He encourages us as we just get to be around other like-minded believers who have the same faith, have the same struggles, and can just encourage us to keep enduring. Now, I don't believe that the Bible mandates you go to two services on Sunday. I really don't want to heap man-made traditions upon you. Let me just really briefly tell you why we have two services and why I think it's wise, even if it's not mandated. And I'll again just speak for myself. First, I think it's really helpful because as you see in the commandment, the whole day is to be set apart for worship and rest. And when I only have the morning service, again, just speak for myself, I very quickly lose sight of what the day is for the rest of the day. I didn't grow up going to two services, and Sunday, to be honest, just looked like Saturday squeezing in a morning service. Rest of the day, just relaxing, doing all other kinds of things. Having this service helps me stay focused. And think about what I'm doing the rest of the time. Second, I don't know about you, but I need a lot of blessing. I need a lot of grace. Or I'm not going to make it. And so, I need as much of the word, prayer, fellowship, singing, and sacraments as I can get. That's why I think it's wise, even though it might not be mandated. But what if we have jobs that require us to work on Sunday? College students, you're going to have to be thinking, jobs, you're 
going to get and how do you think about Sunday? Because guess what? The rest of the world doesn't care about this day and they want to work and make money. So what do we do? Well, one, let me encourage you. Somehow Christians have still survived and made livings even while keeping the Sabbath. It is possible. I would also remind you that the commandment has never forbid works of necessity and mercy. So there are certain occupations where people are going to have to work on Sundays at least to some degree. I'm thankful that there are still emergency rooms on Sunday because sometimes we get sick and hurt on Sunday. So I think the rule of thumb is that we cease from every labor we can, but we understand from other texts that we, we still have some necessities, we still take every opportunity to serve others. But my encouragement is if one day, if you are now or one day you are an employer and your services are not essential for survival, don't be open on Sunday. Don't be open where you go to church and you're making your employees go and work. It's a clear violation in my mind. If you're looking for jobs, have these conversations in the interviews. Ask about Sunday work. Make clear, I, I take my faith really seriously. I want to be there. And yes, there, there might be a day here or there that you have to work on Sunday, but as much as possible, you can be there way more often than not. I'll also throw out, this is a benefit of having two services. You miss one, guess what? There's another opportunity. But don't just give up thinking, well, you know what? There's just no way we can do it in today's world. God has given us commands for our good, and no cultural shifts will change that. Corporate worship is essential for our spiritual health, so we need to do everything to, we can to make sure it is the norm and not the exception to our lives. And third and finally, to keep the day holy, we actively rest our souls in Christ. Now, the point here is that the day is not for inactivity. The day is for actively resting in Jesus. In other words, even though physical rest may be a byproduct of how we spend our time on the Lord's day, just Having some time off is not first and foremost the kind of rest that God is calling us to. The day might actually be quite full of activity. If you're going to morning worship, if you're having people over or serving and then going to evening worship, there is a good kind of tired at the end of the Lord's day that is still refreshing because all of our activity has been drawing us closer to Jesus who is our strength and refreshment. So can we play? Can we nap? Can we exercise on the Lord's day? I do think there are ways to do those things that honor the Lord. My, my encouragement here is, is simply that we think about the activities we're choosing to do, even our recreations, so that we're not just turning, choosing activities that turn our mind off, but we're choosing activities that turn our mind increasingly to Christ. 
So probably the two most common questions I get, well, what about football? And what about going to restaurants? It's everybody's first two questions. You might be surprised. I'm not actually going to try to dictate exactly how you answer those questions. I'm simply going to remind you what the day is for and encourage you to ask yourself, are my activities helping me rest in Christ and grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ? Are they increasing my capacity to follow Him the rest of the week? And also ask myself, are the activities I choose to do requiring others to work on this day? It's not just about our rest. We want to encourage the rest of others. But here's the bottom line. Regardless of everything else we may or may not do on the Lord's day, the most important way we observe the Sabbath, as Kevin DeYoung reminds us, is by ceasing from our flawed, sinful labors and trusting in Christ alone for salvation. See, it's not ultimately about just stopping ordinary work. That's just a way that God helps us focus to see what we really need to cease from, not just one day a week, but every week is cease from sin and all our flawed attempts to work for our own salvation. As someone once said, what do we lose when we lose the Sabbath? We lose grace. Because that's what it's pointing us to. The great reformer Martin Luther said, the spiritual rest which God especially intends in this commandment is that we not only cease from our labor and trade, but much more that we let God alone work in us and that in all our powers we do nothing of our own. Because the Sabbath is not intended to just teach us to rest and trust God once a week. It's intended to foster an entire life of resting and trusting in God. The Lord's Day is just to be that weekly peak in a life of rest. This is what Hebrews 4 teaches us. Tells us that the seventh day is still ongoing. You notice how all the other six days, there's morning and evening? There's no morning and evening on the seventh day. Because God's rest is eternal. It never ends. And Hebrews 4 tells us the promise of God's rest still stands. So let's enter it. That's what this day is to encourage us to do every day of our lives. Because we were made for something more than this earth. The Sabbath is to be a foretaste of heaven. And that's why God set this day apart. To keep us rejoicing and resting in His grace that is found only in His Son, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we do thank You for this day. And I'm sure every single one of us, with me at the front of the line, can confess that we often lose sight. Not just of the importance of this day, but we lose sight of Christ and the purpose of our lives. So I pray that you would give us wisdom as we think about how to keep this day holy. 
But I pray that you would just fill us, even as we sang today, that that our heart would be full of thankfulness. Thankfulness that we can trust you to provide for every need. Thankfulness that we can trust you to sanctify us, to set us apart, to make us holy, to wash away our sins. We don't have to work for any of that. So help us rest. Help us rejoice. Help us trust in Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.